course, we are here with uh, Wednesday visit with Dr. Kelly Victory. She will be coming in in just about 10 minutes or so. In the meantime, I'll be introducing you to Dr. William Mackis, a Canadian nuclear medicine physician with training in oncology and some work in uh, radiation therapy, immunology. And he has been reporting on increases in cancer rates as well as sudden deaths. And we thought we would talk to him about his data and see what it is he's seeing. Uh, Dr. Kelly is very excited to talk to Dr. Mackis, has lots of questions, and he is connecting some of what he's saying possibly with vaccine therapy. So we will get into this. And of course, we are out on Twitter spaces. And as usual, I'll be monitoring the restream chat and the rumble rants. So we'll see you right after this. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex went, oh boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. And welcome, everybody. I'm already engaging with the Rumble Rant people and the Restream. I appreciate you all being here. I'm but, over on Twitch. Uh, oh, you're over on Twitch. How interesting. You're not yeah. in the usual Rumble Room. They get, they get all the remarks that you make for all the platforms, but they have their own little world there. Oh, how interesting. Uh, so, well, we appreciate them being here and you're all welcome. And uh, I do, again, try to watch the the chats if I can pick up any sort of questions that I can bring into the conversation here. I'm happy to do so. So once again, let me bring you our guest. Uh, it is, as I said, Dr. William Mackis. He is a Canadian physician, expertise in radiology, nuclear medicine. Uh, he is a University of Toronto scholar and the author of over 100 peer-reviewed medical publications. Uh, please welcome Dr. William Mackis. There we are. Dr. Mackis, thank you so much for being here. I, I will just start with the obvious. What is it, uh, you, what, what caught your attention uh, and what have you been saying? 
Boom. Oh, I'm sorry. One second. There's a, there we go. We had an audio problem for just a second. Go ahead, please. Thank you very much for having me. I started tracking uh, vaccine injuries in about November of 2021 when I had noticed that uh, Canadian doctors had started uh, dying in their sleep uh, after taking their booster shots. Um, I had actually started speaking up about uh, the failure of uh, COVID-19 vaccine boosters back in August of 2021. And that's when I had, you know, seen that the boosters had failed in Israel. And, you know, Israel was the first country that had rolled out COVID-19 booster shots. Uh, and then very shortly after, uh, they were the number one country in the world for uh, infection, COVID-19 infections. And so uh, that's where it started for me. And I've been tracking vaccine injuries ever since. So like many of us, you just thought, huh, what's this? <laughs> I wonder what this could be. Did you have trouble getting data? See, that's what the state I'm in right now. I, I don't know what's reliable data and what isn't reliable data because I see very, very mixed results. Some too rosy, some too dire. How did you go about collecting your information? It's very hard to get good data. And, and that's the problem, especially here in Canada. Uh, for example, when I was tracking the sudden deaths of Canadian doctors, uh, you know, the first problem I ran into was people telling me, well, doctors, you know, were dying before the rollout of the vaccines. They were dying before the pandemic. How do you know that they're dying at any rate, you know, higher than before? And so I had to get a team of people together and actually spend hundreds of hours going over uh, reports uh, on medical associations of doctor deaths, obituaries, and so on. And we had tracked over 2,200 Canadian doctor deaths over a span of four years from 2019 to 2022. And we were able to determine that, yes, in 2021, for example, the, the mortality of Canadian physicians was 37% higher compared to 2019. And in 2022, it was 53% higher compared to 2019. But that took hundreds and hundreds of hours of collecting that information. Uh, and that's very hard to do. Um, yeah, which is so weird to me that the government, particularly governments with good data, I would imagine like the Canadian healthcare system, like the UK healthcare system, isn't running to their computers to do data analysis. I, I just don't, it's been, that's one of the audit, many oddities of this pandemic. That, that's one for me. But first question I would have, were there any characteristics that jumped out on these physicians? Were they older? Were they younger? Were they equally distributed across male, female, anything? The first thing I had noticed um, was that there were doctors in their 40s and 50s that were dying in their sleep. And they were dying in their sleep uh, shortly after the rollout of the first booster shot, you know, within a week or two of the booster shot. And that was highly unusual. Uh, you know, it's very rare for a, a healthy adult in their 40s and 50s to just die in their sleep. Uh, extremely yeah. rare. So that was the first red flag that I had, I had seen. Uh, and then in 2022, in the summer of 2022, we actually had three doctors who had died within days of each other at the same hospital in Mississauga, Ontario. And they had died after the rollout of the second booster shot, within days of the rollout of the second booster shot. So again, you had another cluster of very unusual deaths. And then we had a lot of deaths uh, of physicians who were engaging in exercise, uh, doctors who were running. For example, 50-year-old Dr. Paul Hannum uh, from Ontario, emergency doctor, uh, who was actually an Olympic athlete and was out for a jog 
mm. and collapsed and died on the spot. We had a 27-year-old Dr. Candace Naiman uh, from Hamilton, Ontario, who was a triathlete who actually collapsed during the swimming portion of a triathlon and died four days later in the ICU. So then you start seeing patterns of doctors dying while exercising. And again, that is extremely unusual. Um, more men dying than women, I've noticed, uh, but women dying also. And, and again, dying in their sleep, dying of cardiac arrests in their 40s, 50s. And then I had noticed uh, an increased incidence of cancers, very aggressive cancers in young doctors in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And these cancers would kill them in a matter of six to 12 months. And usually these cancers arose after they had two shots or three shots and progressed extremely rapidly. And again, this is something I have simply, simply not seen in my career. Hmm. And were there posts done on any, any of these guys? Any, anything that from the pathology departments that you were learning? You know, uh, unfortunately, uh, it seems that autopsies are not being done in the vast majority of these cases. And I've heard from my physician colleagues that autopsies are being actively discouraged. Um, and, you know, in some cases, when they are done, the results come back inconclusive or the results take, you know, six to 12 months to come back. Uh, so there seems to be really yeah. a push by the health authorities to not conduct proper autopsies in these cases. And, and of course, autopsies have been on the decline for really since really since the advent of the you know CT and the MRI. People feel like they know what's going on. They don't have to put the family through the post thing. But you would think with sudden unexplained deaths that there would be at least some, and particularly amongst physician colleagues, somebody would kind of push for that. That's odd. And uh, Kelly is very, Dr. Victory is very anxious to get in here and talk to you. So I'm going to bring her in as early as I possibly can. But I, I have one last question that I always push uh, the people we speak to here as it pertains to this data that we're trying to sort through. Any way to sort out versus vaccine versus some post-COVID phenomenon versus some post-COVID plus vaccine phenomenon? Well, exactly. And, and honestly, I've been calling for uh, proper autopsies to be done on all of these cases uh, so that we know, we find out what is killing these physicians. I've written three letters to the Canadian Medical Association asking them to, you know, call for a halt of, of COVID-19 vaccines in healthcare, vaccine mandates specifically, and to call for investigations. And, you know, they have turned back and they said, this is disinformation. There is no evidence of any harm being done to doctors and that they're going to ignore this completely. Have you had any evidence, again, that will bring Dr. Victor in here, I've, I've just got many questions as well, any thoughts or evidence that pulmonary emboli have played into this phenomenon, particularly of the sudden deaths at night and whatnot? Um, I, I mean, obviously, you know, when somebody's exercising and drops dead, you think more about myocarditis, you think more about uh, cerebrovascular events. But I, I am I'm beginning to develop a sense that pulmonary emboli, I've seen lots of it with COVID. Uh, I've seen none of it post-COVID. And I'm starting to wonder if the vaccine may somehow be pre precipitating PE in some of these people. I've heard about a few cases uh, where pulmonary emboli may have been the cause of, of, of the sudden death. Uh, my impression... Uh, from the limited information that I've had access to is that most of these are probably cases of, of myocarditis 
and myocarditis uh, leading to to arrhythmias and and sudden cardiac death. Uh, you know, these are again early yeah. in the morning. Uh, these are occurring while uh, these physicians were exercising. Uh, so probably most of these cases uh, were myocarditis related. And so uh, I'm just to put a, shine a little light on what Dr. Mackis is saying. So exercise, I think people understand, is a time when the heart is stressed, rhythms can develop, you can get cardiac events of various types. But there's also early morning, most people don't understand that the, there's, there's a certain window during sleep in the early morning hours also when we are prone to cardiac events of various types. So for various reasons about the physiology of sleep. So that that's why that comes to mind. All right, let's take a little break here. Uh, and I know Dr. Kelly is very anxious to get her hands on you as well. I think I've exhausted my initial questions. Uh, hopefully I've asked some of the things she was interested in hearing about as well. And we'll take a break and bring Dr. Kelly Victor in here. Springtime is here. And personally, I can get red and irritated skin during these months, especially when I travel. But now I have an extra layer of protection thanks to Genucel Skincare. Genucel's Ultra Retinol, formulated with the most powerful retinol alternative, Bakukiol, and proprietary MDL technology, soothes irritation and visibly targets red, blotchy skin. And the under eye cream, of course, helps hide the bags and puffiness that you can get from travel and just lack of sleep generally. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of Genucel Redness Repair Intensive during a recent unplanned moment of our show repairing my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That is how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams, retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. Scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at genucel.com. I've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. Visit genucel.com slash Drew today and check out the personalized packages from Susan and myself bundled with our favorite Genucel serums. And remember to use the promo code Drew for an extra 10% off. All orders are upgraded to free shipping. Plus, if you order now, every subscribe and save package gets a free spring spa package with three of Genucel's best-selling spa products ready to try in the comfort of your own home. One more time, that is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Drew. Over the last few months, no doubt you've heard a lot about spike protein, certainly on this program. The reality is once lockdowns are well behind us, we will likely still be dealing with the effects of COVID and potentially the COVID-19 vaccines. Therefore, the spike protein may prove to be an important part of our story. With that in mind, I want to introduce you to the wellness company's spike support formula. Whether you've been vaccinated or not, spike protein may be something you have become concerned about. Good news is that there's some interesting research on how to potentially deal with it. Studies have suggested that natokinase and dandelion root are showing some potential in protecting you and your family. Our friend Dr. Peter McCullough and the team at the Wellness Company have the only product on the market that contains both natokinase and dandelion root. In addition to the natokinase and the dandelion root, the Wellness Company's spike support formula also includes natural antioxidant ingredients such as black sativa, extract, green tea, and iris sea moss, all thought to help boost immune health. Go to twc.health slash Drew to order today. Use code Drew at checkout for 10% off today. Buy gold and get a free save to store it in. You heard right, on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group, now through March 31st, they will ship you a free save directly to your door. Here's the deal. Fed keeps raising rates because it is the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. But it isn't working. 
You can't spend your way out of inflation. And you've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold, whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, visit B-I-R-C-H gold, birchgold.com slash D-R-E-W. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. And welcome, Dr. Victory, for more of our uncharted territory. Have at it. <laughs> Thank you. And thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Magus. Before I launch into all the questions I have for you, though, I have to say, I'm really happy that we are talking about natokinase. Anyone who follows me uh, or follows this show knows that I've been talking a lot about uh, the, the next tier, the next phase of this pandemic, which is what we do to help people who not only had COVID, but as importantly or more importantly, have been vaccinated and are suffering from the constant production of these toxic spike proteins. And I would say that natokinase, of all the things we've talked about or heard about, probably to me has the most promise. Natokinase is an enzyme um, that is produced from uh, fermented soybeans. It's eaten in large quantities by the Japanese in a food called natto, which is kind of a cheese-like tofu type substance. And it uh, it's very, very safe, but interestingly, um, it seems to have an affinity to break apart, uh, to cleave some of these spike proteins. The spike protein, fortunately, has some vulnerabilities on it that allow itself to be attacked by natokinase and broken into smaller pieces. And it looks like that may well uh, do a lot to actually um, make them those spike proteins less toxic, if you will, in addition to the fact that there are lots of other uh, healthful impacts of natokinase by itself. It's one of the reasons people believe the Japanese have such a low, low risk of cardiovascular disease because it's got great impact hmm. on blood pressure, on cholesterol, lots of it's 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 healthful on its own right, but the fact that it it may actually uh, end up being the thing that breaks apart these toxic spikes, I think is very hopeful and, and I'm unaware of any um, significant downsides to taking it. So Happy that we're talking about that. Fair enough. Well um, done. My little aside. Anyway, uh, so Dr. Mack, is, I'm so happy that you are here. Um, I started following you and was aware of you uh, when you were reporting on these sudden deaths in Canadian physicians. And although you were focusing on the physician sudden and unexplained deaths, um, it, that certainly replicates what we're seeing in the non-physicians. We're seeing um, the same numbers of unexplained uh, sudden deaths in athletes. And as you said, people dying at two different times, either while exercising or in the early morning um, sleep hours. And uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, I'm sure you're aware, you know, has pointed out 
that he believes it's related to these fluctuations that occur in cardiac, you know, uh, things like adrenaline, norepinephrine, those sorts of fluctuations that happen both when you exercise and you have a rapid heart rate and high blood pressure, higher blood pressure, as well as when you're first coming into the early morning hours and you, those diurnal rhythms um, start to increase hormone levels and different cardiac uh, levels. Uh, what I'm interested in is what kind of pushback you said that there was a pushback on not doing autopsies. Did what did the scientific community, your own physician colleagues, say about what you were pointing out? What was their response? To be honest with you, Dr. Kelly, uh, from the Canadian physicians, there's been complete silence. Um, you know, they'll push back on me when they attack me on Twitter, for example, online. And I'll say this is disinformation and, and you know, you're making this up. And I, I faced these attacks from the Canadian Medical Association. You know, they've said this, this is absolutely, there's no evidence of this. And they don't even want to look at the data. You know, I have a huge database of physician deaths spanning four years that I can hand over to the Canadian Medical Association. I've offered this data to them. Half of the data was from their own website before they deleted it. So the Canadian Medical Association actually had an in-memoriam page where they kept track of physician deaths for many, many years, and they've recently deleted all of that information. So half of the data was from their own website, and they refused to look at it. The other half of the data was from other medical associations, like the Royal College of Physicians or the provincial colleges who report uh, deaths of physicians sometimes. So from the medical establishment, there's been complete denial. They don't want to look at any data about physician sudden deaths. Uh, from the physicians themselves, I'll get the occasional email saying, you know, I, I am concerned, but for the most part, again, it's physicians are simply ignoring this. Uh, but I am getting acknowledgement from, from nurses, from pharmacists, paramedics, other frontline healthcare workers who are telling me, yes, this is happening. And, you know, you're absolutely right in, in bringing this forward. That is so interesting because that is exactly what we are seeing in the United States. And my theory is this. It wasn't the nurses, the paramedics, or the pharmacists who ordered the vaccines for their patients. It was other, it was doctors. And I think the level of cognitive dissonance, the idea that they do not want to acknowledge, oh my God, not only did I take this, but I was out there foisting this, promoting this, and suggesting this to my patients. So I think they are terrified to even consider what you are saying and what you are pointing out. Furthermore, this issue about autopsy. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that not just on their patients, you know, which is a, which is a terrifying thought. Imagine you you've recommended this to mm -hmm. all of your patients, uh, but they've really recommended it to their children, uh, to mm -hmm. their families, their you know, to their extended families, to their friends. And so mm -hmm. I often come across the situation where when I am contacted by family members of physicians who've died suddenly. They will tell me, you know, they truly believed in the vaccine and they recommended it to all of their family members and they gave it to their kids. And yeah. I think that's where, yeah. you know, the real tragedy may lie. In this issue about um, uh, autopsies, again, in the United States, we are not doing uh, any appreciable autopsies either. But an autopsy by itself isn't enough. As you know, we've got to do the appropriate tissue sampling and staining. Uh, Dr. Ryan Cole, who's a friend and colleague and, and certainly a good friend of this program, has pointed out that we have the stains available 
but you have to do them and they aren't being done routinely. Those stains that would actually have shown in these cases of these sudden deaths that the physicians have globs of spike protein in their myocardium. There's evidence of myocarditis and it's that inflammation of the heart that puts them at risk for a dysrhythmia, a fatal dysrhythmia to occur either when they're exercising or in those early morning sleep hours. Uh, Move beyond though. Now you've also not just focused on those uh, physician deaths, that's I believe where you started, but let's talk about one of the things that's most interesting to me, and I had predicted this long before we started seeing the data coming in, the increases in cancers. Um, I've got some good theories. There's some good information for why that might be happening, but talk about your observations and your findings with regard to cancers following these vaccinations? You know, that's been a fascinating development. And again, for me, uh, the pattern that I first noticed of increased cancers and particularly aggressive cancers that seem to metastasize very rapidly. Um, And again, I noticed it in the doctors, in the physicians. And what's interesting is when you look at the increased physician mortality and, and you know the sudden or unexpected deaths, they're actually skewed towards the younger doctors. So it's doctors in their you know, 20s, 30s, and 40s that are actually seeing a far higher mortality rate than doctors in their 50s and 60s. And that's where these cancers show up in these young individuals. And these cancers, cancers are very unusual. Uh, they tend to present... Uh, quite late, so usually at stage three or four. And they tend to be very aggressive and almost resistant to conventional conventional treatments, uh, to conventional chemotherapy or radiation. And so that's where I first noticed this pattern of these cancers uh, that, for example, you know, I had a 27-year-old doctor in British Columbia, a medical student, who after two COVID-19 vaccine doses about a month or two later, started developing back pain. And then he comes down with this very rare spinal cord cancer yeah. that grows very rapidly. At first, doctors thought that they could treat it and it was you know, treatable and he could be uh, you know, put in remission. But it just progressed too rapidly. They operated and they realized on the pathology results that they could not offer him anything, any treatments and he was dead within a matter of months. And you start seeing these cancers uh, all over the place. Um, you know, yeah. the obituary are now full of them. Yeah, we were, we've, are seeing in the United States a lot of very unusual cancers in young people, aggressive lymphomas, uh, leukemias, and interestingly, colon cancers in people in their 20s and 30s. I mean, this is there's a reason we don't normally start doing screening colonoscopies until age 50, you know, 40 or 40 at the youngest, if you have a strong family history, but never in 20s and 30s, all of a sudden we're seeing aggressive colon cancers, testicular cancers in young, healthy people. Um, one of the theories about that, by the way, is that, you know, we very clearly can can show a shift in immunoglobulins following vaccine. And there's a shift specifically to IgG, that specific immunoglobulin, and more importantly, the subset of IgG, IgG4, which is responsible for telling your body to ignore 
that something is foreign. I mean, obviously it doesn't behoove anybody to, to react to every single thing. We'd all be just walking around with a box of Kleenex taped to our arm with allergies to everything if you reacted to every bit of pollen, every bit of dust, every bit of cat hair or whatever. So IgG4 is the part of your body that tells you <laughs> don't pay attention to this. It's foreign, but ignore it. If there's a huge shift and huge increases in IgG4, you also start ignoring things like that abnormal colon cell, that abnormal breast cell, that abnormal, you know, ner- you know, neuron cell that your immune system would otherwise just wipe out, go away, and it would never become a cancer. But if you have a huge increase in that, um, we, I think your body is now being told to ignore things that are abnormal. Um, outside of the physician population that you that you've been focusing on, have you been looking at cancer rates elsewhere in the general population in Canada? You know, again, I, I've noticed this in in young individuals, and and I get sent uh, I get sent these stories every day in my mailbox. And, you know, you'd mentioned colon cancer, for example. And, you know, I get a lot of even breast cancers, breast cancers yes. in younger and younger women, breast cancers that start off as a little lump. And then within, you know, a month or two, they will grow to 10 centimeters uh, size and, you know, replacing the entire breast. Now you need to do a radical mastectomy. You need to do very aggressive chemotherapy. And I have parents coming to me and saying, what do I do about this? this? This is something that, you know, even the oncologists have not seen before and they don't know what, what to do with these cancers. Uh, so breast cancers, I've seen even gastric cancers uh, behave very strangely, testicular cancers, especially in athletes, you know, in the German Bundesliga, mm-hmm. there's soccer players that are, you know, there's a dozen soccer players that have come down yeah. with testicular cancers, all of them in their 20s and 30s. Uh, so, you know, th- this is a very frightening, um, this is a very frightening situation. And the idea of the immunoglobulin shift is very fascinating because uh, with the shift to IgG4, uh, where, you know, you get sort of tolerance yeah. uh, mm-hmm. of your immune system to, to these um, external toxins, uh, you actually get less of IgG1 and IgG3, right. which are involved in fighting viruses, and they're also involved in fighting cancer as well. So you're actually getting even less, you're, you're getting a reduction in that protection that your immune system has, right. you know, against cancerous cells. And, and it seems that, you know, some people lose their immune system protection entirely, and then these cancers can just explode and spread very, very rapidly. Yeah. Again, it's, I'm going to ask really- uh, uh, just Kelly very quickly back to my sure. couple things uh, as it pertains to that population. Once again, COVID, COVID plus vaccine, vaccine, and any way to differentiate amongst those different categories. And, and then the fact that they're younger kind of tells you something interesting, but okay, you know, you can, I'll let you answer that. And um, uh, shoot, my other question escaped me. It was, it was about gone i'll come back with it in a second i think it's it's it would be very instructive to look at 2020 uh when Mm -hmm. when we weren't seeing these cancers uh and so you would think that if if covid was the issue and again this is where you know the good data is so important uh but if covid was the issue and we had several waves in 2020 we should have seen these cancers explode right Right. as soon as covid hit the shores 
you know, in the United States, in Canada, back in March of 2020. And now we're being told that really COVID was circulating even earlier. Uh, right. it, it, it was probably circulating in 2019. Um, you know, they're trying to sort of nail down when exactly uh, it had come here. So we should have been seeing those kinds of aggressive uh, cancers. And, and I don't recall seeing them at the time, uh, but I am seeing them now, especially in the last six to 12 months. No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head and, and you're pointing out exactly what uh, Ed Dowd has said, that we did not see this increase in disability, this increase in all-cause mortality in 2020. Uh, it didn't start until 2021, and that's when we saw the huge increase. Um, so it, we should have seen it during, especially if it was COVID-related, during those uh, more significant Delta and the original Wuhan uh, wave of, of the virus, and we we didn't. Uh, Dr. Magnus, you posted, um, I think it was earlier today or, or yesterday perhaps, some pretty stunning um cases and some thoughts about injuries in pregnant women uh, and some things you were seeing in pregnancy. Talk about, talk about that. You know, I, I noticed some of these cases, uh, really horrific cases of, of pregnant women coming down with massive heart attacks and strokes, uh, usually later in, in, in pregnancy. Mm. Um, and, and if they had been vaccinated, we actually had a surgeon here in Alberta uh, in her 30s, she was pregnant. Uh, she was mandated to be COVID-19 vaccinated because she was just finishing surgical residency. And she came down, you know, with a, with a massive stroke. And I know that Dr. J James Thorpe um, often talks about, you know, the increase sure. in miscarriages and stillbirths. And, and that's, you know, that's extremely important. Uh, but I, I, I've noticed that there's not a lot of focus placed on, on the health of the mother as well. And, and, and um, you know, so when I've, when I've seen some of these really horrific cases of pregnant women, uh, you know, at, at, let's say, 32 weeks, 36 weeks, they're vaccinated and they're coming down with massive, massive heart attacks uh, or strokes or brain, brain bleeds. Um, you know, I've gone over the VAERS uh, database and there's a lot of such cases in VAERS uh, of these incidents, again, following vaccination. Uh, now, of course, you know, you would have to establish the connection, you know, more firmly, but I, I am seeing that pattern there as well. But as you point out before, you know, you, you won't find what you won't look for. Uh, and what we are seeing certainly in the United States, and it sounds like in Canada as well, is if the powers that be, if the uh, institutions that are uh, mandated to be looking at these things, in our case, the CDC or the NIH or whoever it is, refuse to look at the data, if they refuse, they should be demanding autopsies with tissue sampling and tissue staining. They should be absolutely, you know, the VAERS system is owned by Health and Human Services here. They, you know, it's theirs to be looking at it. Instead, they're doing everything they can to silence those of us who actually are bringing the information forward. What is, another thing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's my understanding that probably a year ago in Ottawa, the leading cause of death in the province of, of, of Ottawa was unknown cause. So that was Are actually in, uh, yes, so that was in my province of, of Alberta. Uh, well, we actually had several, we had several reports come out uh, that the number one cause of death 
Uh, it was cause unknown. We had 3,400 Albertans die due to unknown causes. It was the leading cause of death by far, much, you know, much higher than cancer, um, you know, dementia, you know, the usual causes that you would expect. And uh, Mark Stein actually picked this up as well in his, uh, you know, on his show. Uh, but that that is the situation. And, you know, I wanted to mention because, um, you know, you have the VAR system in the United States. And here in Canada, Health Canada is supposed to be tracking these, you know, these injuries and deaths. And what happens is that uh, I've been informed, again, by my physician colleagues who are submitting these injury reports. They are filling out the forms. They are submitting it. But they get stopped uh, at the provincial level. Uh, so we have a health authority here, for example, Al Alberta Health Services, who will block those COVID vaccine injury and death reports submitted by physicians as they're legally obliged. They will actually stop those reports. They will not send them to Health Canada. They will send them back as rejected. And then they will focus on the doctor and say, well, you know, you might have to have your license uh, examined more closely. And that's what's happening in provinces in Canada. So when Health Canada says there have been zero deaths attributed to the COVID-19 vaccines, well, it's because the reports are being blocked at the provincial right. level in every province. Which is really terrifying. I mean, I, I've said from the beginning, the virus is real, the statistics are not. And I don't just mean the number of people who have COVID or died from COVID. I mean, all of the data, it's all suspect. For exactly the reasons you point out, we are seeing this just egregious uh, manipulation of the data in the United States, uh, whether it's you know rejecting uh, cases from VAERS or simply trying to silence physicians from reporting it at all. Um, do you have a sense in Canada, having all of that said, that we will never, in the United States at least, have good numbers around how many people are actually vaccinated for COVID? Do you have a sense or a way to get at, in Canada, what percentage of the population do you believe has had at least one vaccine for, for COVID and how, what percentage is fully vaccinated? That's a good question. Uh, in Canada, I believe the numbers are in the high 80s. So something like 86% of Canadians are being reported by the government to have had at least one vaccine. Maybe 84% have had two vaccines. Um, you know, it, it's hard for me to, you know, get a sense of how accurate those numbers are. But at yeah. least from what I've seen in, in my circle and from my colleagues, you know, the vast majority of people have, have taken, uh, you know, at least two doses. And there's been tremendous push. One thing that really frightens me is that uh, the Canadian government is reporting that children 12 to 19 years old 80% of them have had two doses of COVID-19 vaccines or more. 80%, that is a very large number. Uh, for children 5 to 11 years old, that number is 50% have had two doses oh or more. And so, you know, I've been reporting on uh, children, uh, high school children and elementary school children dying suddenly or unexpectedly in the last few months. Mm -hmm. Uh, the numbers are staggering. I'm seeing a lot of uh, high school athletes coming down yeah. with, you know, sudden cardiac arrests, heart attacks, sudden deaths. Um, you know, hockey players, you know, we have a very, you know, hockey is very popular in Canada. A lot of parents have put their kids in hockey and they were mandated at least two shots to be able to continue playing hockey, to be able to access hockey arenas or sports facilities in general. 
So this is something that that really you know frightens me, and I I really feel for these yeah. kids uh, because I believe you know their dam- immune systems might have been damaged. And and I want to point well, out what, really quickly that that we're not we're not say I, I want to kind of soothe some of the parents' anxiety a little bit, and we're not saying that you're at massive risk if you've been vaccinated. What we're saying is. COVID itself offers your children little or no risk. And we are worried that this vaccine has some significant risk, which in the sense of relative risk is potentially quite massive relatively, but not on an individual or a population basis. It's not like everyone should be anxious now. I don't want everyone that way. Can, can I flip back to pregnancy for a second and show you how frustrated I am with the data? Um, just as uh, this is both from Canada and the UK. Uh, 90% of all hospitalizations and 98% of critical care hospitalizations in pregnancy associated with COVID-19 were in unvaccinated patients. One, one data point. Another data point in Ontario, data shows the six-fold increase in risk of being admitted to the ICU due to COVID during pregnancy. And another one, four, three, five study meta-analysis, increased risk of ICU, anal- ICU admission, ventilator, maternal death, in those with COVID-19 during pregnancy, it doesn't say with or without vaccination. And then in this same group, I won't go through it, uh, essentially the summary is vaccines are perfectly safe with zero serious side effects, zero. Neither of those sets of data pass the sniff test for anybody who's practicing medicine. And, and this is, Dr. Mackis, when I was interviewing, the stuff that really troubles me. Uh, if I could find meaningful data, I could help people make decisions, but none of it matches clinical experience. Well, we've had, you know, we've had the same problem, um, you know, uh, back in 2021, you know, we had what was called the pandemic of the unvaccinated. And I remember that was, uh, you know, that was uh, it pushed in the United States, but it was pushed uh, here in Canada as well. But if you looked at the data more closely, you would realize that, you know, during the first 14 days after vaccination, everyone was labeled as unvaccinated. Correct. Right. And yet the, you know, yet the vast majority of, of the deaths uh, that occur post-vaccination uh, occur in the first 14 days. And all of those people right. were labeled as unvaccinated. And so, right. uh, you know, when, when you looked closely at the so-called pandemic of the unvaccinated, it just didn't, uh, it didn't pass the sniff test. Um, you could tell that the data was heavily manipulated and there really wasn't a pandemic of the unvaccinated as far as I was concerned. No, but you, you just hit the nail on the head. This was sleight of hand. This was a shell game like no other. They simply didn't call these people vaccinated, Drew. They'd received the vaccines, but not, you know, 14 days hadn't gone by. So they were still classified as, quote, unvaccinated. It's absolutely disingenuous. It was intellectually dishonest. Um, one of the things that's problematic with regard to getting the data is that people have a vested interest in lying both ways. There are people who will say that they were vaccinated when they weren't because they wanted to travel or they didn't want to risk their jobs or they wanted to attend sporting events or whatever. And God only knows how many false vaccine cards are, are out there floating around. But people also have a reason to be dishonest the other way. There are many people, I believe, who did get vaccinated 
who now feel foolish, feel that they were duped or that they didn't do their own due diligence and therefore feel um, that they didn't make a wise decision. So they'll say, oh, no, no, I, I didn't take that dang thing. So who really knows where the truth lies? In the United States, um, the CDC says 92% of the population has been vaccinated. I don't think there's any way that it's that high. I think we may well be in the high 70s. I don't know, but it certainly isn't 92%. Um, how we ever find out those numbers, I think, is a, I don't have a good answer. Um, you posted something, I believe, uh, also recently about pilots. And I want would love for you to talk a little bit about your thought about that, about injuries to pilots. You know, it's very interesting. I had done a Substack article on uh, pilot incapacitations uh, and sudden cardiac um, arrests uh, in flight back in 2021 and 2022. And, uh, you know, I had found a number of them, about, let's say, five in 2022. And then I noticed uh, these pilot incapacitations have started happening more and more frequently, especially in the in the month of March. We've had at least seven uh, pilot incapacitations on major commercial flights, um, you know, just in a matter of one month. And, uh, you know, one of those pilots ended up passing away. It was a British Airways pilot who died actually just before a flight from Cairo to London. Uh, he had died in the hotel uh, of, 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 um, of the crew. And, and uh, the other pilot incapacitations occurred, um, you know, the, the planes were all landed safely, thank God. Uh, but, you know, it's, you've, had some, you've had some close calls. And so this has been, and I don't understand why this is happening at such an increased frequency in the last, you know, couple of months. But I've been approached by pilots uh, at all my speaking events I go to. There's always at least one or two pilots who approaches me and they say, you know, we are worried a lot of pilots have suffered uh, injuries uh, from the COVID-19 vaccine, especially the vaccine mandates. Um, you know, for example, well, here FA in Alberta. Yeah. I'm, so I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, I was just going to say here in Alberta, we have, a, you know, we have an airline called WestJet that boasts a 95% vaccination rate of its, of its employees. And, and so, you know, we have a lot of pilots who, who were forced to take the COVID-19 vaccines. Many of them are now suffering with all kinds of uh, side effects and injuries, cardiac injuries. And yet, you know, they're, they don't know what to do uh, because the authorities don't seem to be paying any attention to their injuries. Well, the FAA um, actually changed their guidelines, their cardiac guidelines for reading of EKGs sort of just quietly, uh, clandestinely changed the guidelines because otherwise they would have had to fail such a large portion of the pilots in this past year would not have passed their EKGs. So they loosened up the guidelines with regard to how to, to read them, basically without getting into the weeds on EKG reading, uh, what, you know, the intervals the time intervals, they, they actually eased these guidelines so as not to uh, have to eliminate certain numbers of pilots. One of those planes you're talking about that just happened in the past month or so, if I recall, the, the pilot was incapacitated and the plane was landed, but it was landed by a passenger who happened to be a pilot from a different airlines, correct? That's right. It was uh, Southwest, Southwest Air. 
and uh, the pilot had collapsed uh, mid-flight, and there was a there was a non-Southwest pilot in the back who was actually you know just happened to be on the flight going to another destination, and and he came in and took over and 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 landed the plane. So, you know, ah. these, these are these are very frightening situations, and I and I think especially at the frequency that it's happening right now. Um, you know, I've posted on my Substack that I'm truly concerned that you know if if nothing is done, that we may see a major airline disaster uh, as a result of you know one or more you know uh, incapacitations uh, of the crew. And so it, uh, I just pray so now it doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. So now we've gone from the flight attendant coming on and saying, "Is there a doctor on board?" to coming on and saying, "Is there a pilot on board?" Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, you, you're, you're hoping hoping to hell there happens to be a pilot in, in row, you know, 14 uh, who can step up to the plate and, and fly the damn plane and land it. I mean, that's terrifying uh, to me. And we interviewed Dr. Teresa Long, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Long, uh, about her experience in the Army, and she talked about the number of pilots that she had to ground uh, because of evidence of myocarditis, pericarditis, or other injury that she clearly believes is related to to the vaccines, um, and that's in the military. So the the impact on our military and how much we have undermined, at least in the United States, um, the health and readiness of our military because they, at least in this country, were mandated to be vaccinated, and I'm guessing in Canada. Um, probably the same is, is that were healthcare workers and the military, I assume, mandated there. That's correct. Uh, the uh, the Canadian Armed Forces uh, were mandating COVID nineteen vaccines. I have a, actually a family member um, in the Canadian Armed Forces who had to uh, get vaccinated. Uh, what was shocking for me was that uh, there were military cadets uh, that had to be vaccinated as well. Uh, these are young boys who, you know, they take summer programs with the Canadian Armed Forces. And we had two such boys, two such cadets who had died suddenly in uh, just a month ago in February. Uh, they were both 18 years old. They were both uh, mandated to take COVID-19 vaccines to be able to participate in these summer programs. Uh, and they both uh, died suddenly uh, at the age of 18. Uh, and I know that there's been uh, cadets in the United States as well. Uh, that have died uh, suddenly, yeah. and, and and so you know that this is this is a very tragic. I wanted to um, also briefly mention that uh, this is not happening with only the pilots. I've noticed um, I've done another Substack on uh, buses and drivers being incapacitated oh, while they're driving, and so uh -huh. for example, there have been in the past month there have been four school buses. Uh, where the driver had become incapacitated, uh, where the bus lost control. Now, it was either a student that took control of the bus uh, or a teacher that took control of the bus, you know, to, to save the rest of the students in that bus. Um, and, you know, one of the drivers uh, had actually died in front of the school, sitting in the bus, you know, waiting for, you know, the students. So, so this is happening as well. Uh, you know, with bus drivers and, and, you know, these are very tragic situations that, you know, people should be aware that this is happening and this is happening at an increasing frequency. 
Well, I, I sense that this, uh, like has for me, I sense that this has become a bit of a mission for you, um, at least more recently. How, if at all, has this impacted your your personal practice? You're a radiation on, uh, uh, oncologist, I understand. And has this impacted your, your practice? Are you continuing to see patients? Well, Dr. Victory, I can tell you, um, if, if, uh, if I you know, still had my medical license, uh, I would probably be not, you know, speaking about this at all. Um, actually, I had a large cancer program that was sabotaged by the federal government, by the Justin Trudeau liberal government uh, about six years ago. And I've been involved in a legal battle uh, as a result of the shutdown of my cancer program. Uh, and so when the pandemic hit, uh, I was actually semi-retired. Um, you know, my light, my medical license had been sabotaged, my hospital privileges as well. And so I can actually speak out about COVID vaccine uh, issues, injuries and deaths without any fear of being retaliated against and, and let's say losing my job or losing my license. Because right now, uh, all across Canada, any physician who is speaking up about these issues, about concerns about COVID-19 vaccines, uh, is being silenced, is being dragged through legal proceedings. They're having their medical licenses stripped from them. They're having their hospital privileges stripped, and they are being silenced uh, all across Canada. And I know it's happening in the United States as well. I know they've come after Dr. Peter McCullough and his medical license. Uh, you know, they may have come after Dr. Ryan Cole as well. Uh, uh, I, I, I know there's a group coming after Dr. Asim Malhotra right now. So all physicians who are speaking up are being attacked and are being persecuted. Now, let me, though, yeah, I I, because I have to ask I, these I questions, I'll just, I'll, 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 hang a second, Kelly, just, I, I feel like somebody's got to ask this. What would you say to someone who said, well, you've been through this horrible experience with the tribunal. This is your way to, this is out of your frustration and your resentment. You're getting back at them. What would you say to someone suggesting that was your motivation? Well, you know, it's it's not a motivation at all because, um, you know, the colleges of physicians and surgeons uh, throughout Canada are, are almost above the law. Uh, you know, there's no oversight from, you know, the government or the courts. And so they're acting of, of their own accord. You know, I'm bringing this to people's attention. Uh, you know, I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my children. I'm doing it for, you know, uh, other people's children. Uh, because I'm seeing people being harmed, I'm seeing people being hurt, uh, and you know, as a physician, I feel it's 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 my duty and my responsibility when I see something wrong that's being done in the medical field to speak up about it. Uh, you know, that's part of my that's part of my Hippocratic oath. That's part of my uh, you know medical ethics that I believe in, and so that that's why I'm speaking up. Well, I, I appreciate your courage, and I will tell you, I'm sorry to hear that you are no stranger uh, to the tyranny that the medical boards can unleash. Um, I agree with you. They have powers that um, cannot be explained. In the United States, the Federation of State Medical Boards that unwields unbelievable control over physicians is a private entity uh, with zero accountability. You're hard pressed to even find an address or telephone number, let alone who actually runs the thing. I have defended myself against seven separate complaints against my license over these past three years. 
um, it, and it's debilitating. It's exhausting. I've been successful each time, but it is exhausting uh, emotionally and financially uh, to, to do it. So I give you a lot of credit. I think you really have to ask what is the motivation of, of the people like you or me who are speaking out about these things. I gain nothing financially. Unlike an Anthony Fauci or a Rochelle Walensky or an mainstream media or people who make vaccines, I stand to gain nothing. I stand to get nothing but but actually, you know, backlash. Uh, so you really have to, I would say to people, you might want to question, you know, if you're going to question people's motivation, the motivation is for the people who have, you know, brought to you by Pfizer uh, emblazoned, you know, behind their head while they're talking or the people who are making money on patents or vaccines or on different therapeutics. Um, we've got a few minutes left here. So where, tell me where you see this going, not only in Canada, but do you have thoughts about how this is going to unwind where, where it's leading? You know, I've, I've, I've been hopeful that because, especially in Canada, the demand for booster shots has crashed, has collapsed, and only 22% of Canadians are still up to date on their booster shots, have taken a booster shot in the last six months. So given that the vast majority of the population, 78% of Canadians are no longer taking booster shots, I was hopeful that these sudden deaths, that these aggressive cancers, uh, and that these horrific injuries, uh, you know, the heart attacks, strokes, neurological injuries, that they would decrease over time. And unfortunately, that's not what I'm seeing. Um, I'm seeing, if anything, I'm seeing an acceleration over the last uh, six months or so. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so... Now I'm starting to think that this may be sort of the longer term effects that we are seeing, you know, with people who took their shot maybe a year ago, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, they took their last shots. And now we're seeing longer term effects, uh, side effects of these vaccines. Uh, you know, so I continue to hope and pray that um, that these incidents start decreasing and that, you know, we see less of it. But so far, my experience is that is that these incidents are on the rise and that they continue to rise. Uh, and I don't know how long this will continue for. Well, one of the problems and one of my concerns when these vaccines were rolled out was precisely this. Normally, mRNA is very fragile on its own. And so if you use normal mRNA, it will degrade over a matter of days. It is so fragile, however, that the vaccine manufacturers created a synthetic mRNA so that it wouldn't degrade quickly. And as a result, we now have mRNA that is telling your body to create these toxic spike proteins in perpetuity. We have no idea when it will turn off. There is no off switch, which is part of the reason I think that looking at things like natokinase, something that can, in fact, attack or help to address that toxic spike protein that's continuing to be produced that can break it apart into smaller, perhaps less toxic subparticles. I, I think that's really where we as a profession need to be focusing. How do we help all of these people? Um, are, do you, is it your sense in Canada that people are looking for for fixes? You know, for how to unscrew this up? You know, the the Dr. Kelly's uh, colloquial unfuck it bucket. How do we unfuck this? How do we how do we uh, how do we undo this for people? Because although I would love to do a vindication, you know, victory lap, saying I told you so, 
Um, as a physician, I feel obligated to focus on how do we help all of these people? Yes, absolutely. Um, whenever I do uh, speeches, public speeches right now, I always have people coming to me afterwards asking for uh, treatment advice. You know, how, how do they get rid of the mm -hmm. spike? How do they treat uh, a whole manner of, of uh, vaccine injuries? And natokinase is one of those uh, tools that I, I give them. I've been impressed, not just, you know, that it breaks down the spike protein, but that it has the ability to break down blood clots and amyloid blood clots, yes. those strange mm -hmm. blood mm -hmm. clots that, you know, we, we've seen in the Die Suddenly right. movie, those rubbery white clots that, uh, you know, the embalmers are struggling with right now. And mm -hmm. it, it seems to have the ability to break those down as well. You know, I mentioned things like quercetin, uh, things like NAC, N-acetylcysteine, you know, olive leaf, dandelion leaf and root, uh, white pine needle tea. Uh, you know, there are a number of agents that block the spike protein and mm -hmm. and either, mm -hmm. you know, change the conformation of the protein so that it's not as toxic or prevent it from, um, you know, creating, you know, free radicals and doing damage to yeah. tissues. Uh, and so I think people absolutely uh, want this information. They are hungry for information. They want to know you know, what they can do about uh, this spike protein that, as you mentioned, you know, we don't know how to clear it from the body yet, but we can certainly uh, take steps to mitigate some of the damage that it does in the body. Yeah. Uh, guys, I think we are sort of rolling to a halt here. Okay. Um, and Kelly, I want to keep you behind to answer a couple of calls, if you don't mind. Uh, but Dr. Sure. Macus, you want to give us your, your particulars, where people, you send people, your Substack, your Twitter handle. Yes, thank you. Um, my, my Twitter account is uh, at MacusMD, M-A-K-I-S-M-D. And my Substack is uh, MacusMD.Substack.com. Uh, so I encourage uh, people can sign up, uh, you know, for a free subscription or if they want to pay $5 a month, you know, I always appreciate uh, the support. Dr. Macus, well, thank, thank you, much you. For, so much for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate your your courage and your willingness to speak out. Good luck in all of your fights with against the tyrannical government up there uh, north north of our border. Um, we wish you the best of luck, and uh, I'll circle back with you. We'll keep in touch and and uh, continue to watch this data. Um, we appreciate having you in the fight with us. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Macus. So Kelly, we've got a few calls. Uh, some hands are up. For those of you that are okay. on the Twitter spaces, you just uh, push the, you'll watch Caleb's little cartoon here in a second. You push the request button and I'll see it as requested and it'll bring you up. And if you come up to talk, you'll be speaking to Dr. Dr. Victory and myself uh, and uh, streaming out on multiple platforms simultaneously with that. Uh, and this is not a Russian spy. That's the actual Twitter handle. So, so. <laughs> oh, so good. We'll Darn it. <laughs> we were hoping to speak to a Russian spy, but damn. Uh, there, you got to unmute yourself. Not a Russian spy. And we'll keep going here as the request come through. You're still muted. And thank you. We're hooked. Uh, we're hooked up, but the mute continues. It's that lower left-hand corner, Mike. There you are. What's going on? Um, um, hey, Doctor Drew. I really appreciate your show. You've had uh, some really fantastic people on lately. It's been interesting. Um, thank you. I'm calling because uh, having listened to the Sasha Lipiota episode recently, and having some experience in the 
medicinal chemistry. Um, the things that you, she said concerned me greatly, um, not only from the angle of the mRNA variability, but also from um, sort of the, the the chemistry process involved in the the self assembly of the um, lipid nanoparticles. The self assembly is almost certainly dependent on the nature of the mRNA to assemble properly. Not only that, things like you know proper mixing, proper scaling. All right, <clears throat> uh, take. Yeah, you're Hello? you're you're essentially scrolling through all the stuff we keep hearing about, right. which is the mixing and the vat size and the construction of the lipid nanoparticles and the mRNA, mRNA construction right. and the uh, protein uh, the protein particles that seem to be circulating the mRNA particles that seem to circulate. So you, 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 these things are keep coming up, and I, I have no expertise in this, but I've certainly heard this concern. Um, well, yeah, and uh, well, so one of the things that can uh, happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you. I'm gonna interrupt you one more time. Although you're not a Russian spy, I'm I'm fearful that a Russian or Chinese spy has interfered with your transmission. <laughs> yeah, yes, we couldn't exactly. hear you. You we went into complete uh, broken broken. Uh, you know, what, sort of. What's interesting? Uh, what's interesting, Drew, is that you know if you were making Skittles, you know every you know one millionth bag of Skittles. I'm, I'm making this up. You know gets opened and they count it up. And if for God forbid, you know there was twenty percent green ones or thirty percent green ones, and you know it yeah. wasn't you know yeah. mixed properly, they would shut down that assembly line and figure out what is it about the mixture of Skittles that's not getting it mixed homogeneously. Mm -hmm. Okay, but fast forward mm -hmm. to these vaccines, there's zero quality control. Those vaccine vials came in multi-use vials. It wasn't just, here's the vial, mm -hmm. you draw the entire amount into the syringe. Many of those vials yep. were meant to fill 50 or more syringes. So the first two or three, and you may recall, during the early days of the vaccine uh, rollout, People weren't getting these largely at their doctor's office. They were rolling up their sleeve in the parking lot at some stadium, yeah. uh, you know, or or something mm -hmm. like that. So you've got people rapidly giving them. The first three may have had a hundred percent of the mRNA from the entire vial in it, and the and the next forty uh, syringefuls may have had largely lipid nanoparticles or other stuff. We don't know. Yeah, yeah the, this the, the quality. This is what the quality uh, control was uh, zero. Uh, Right, Sasha Latipova was bringing that to our attention, but be, yeah. but not a, but not a Russian spy is bringing up these other elements too that keep coming up. The experts right. keep bringing up the biotechnologists. Yeah. So hopefully, we, do we have you back? Uh, yes, there you yes, are. yes. Go ahead. Uh, what I was saying is that uh, oh, we have a Russian spy. We have a Chinese yeah. and a Russian spy. You may not be a Russian spy, but somebody else is. I'm going to have to put you back. No, in the it's a ghost. I would say you you would do us a great good service if you could send what your comment is in in sort of brief format to contact a doctor uh, component Drew. in oh. order to get say specific uh, oh. lung or liver delivery. Um, so the fact that the mRNA is being manufactured properly probably means the lipid nanoparticle is improper. If the lipid right. nanoparticle is improper, it will probably deliver variably uh, to possibly different tissues. 
Uh, it will also probably affect toxicity and immunogenicity because one of the things that vary immunogenicity is the amount of PEG included in the lipid nanoparticle. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, like you were saying, and like Kelly, and also thank you very much, Kelly, you are so awesome. Um, uh, the, uh, one of the, uh, like no, none of this would have been acceptable at all, even yeah. if any single one of these components are have never That's been right. acceptable. That's right. You get, That's you right. get big time trouble from the FDA from having wrong crystal isoforms. Yes. You don't just get to make something completely different from what you're claiming to make and then put it into people. And, and let's let's not forget right. there were FDA officials resigned over these very issues. Yeah. And I yeah. and I've said repeatedly we get they were in an emergency. They were rushing to market. I get it. Alpha and Delta was worse. They may have helped. Uh, obviate that they may have hurt some people along the way could have happened why not why push so hard now then why continue to push so hard is really the craziness of all this right kelly absolutely there's there's i would be hard pressed to come up with any reason for somebody to get vaccinated today drew these vaccines do not work against the current uh strains that are out there we have treatments available and the current strains are very very mild we have a tsunami of adverse events that have been reported and i think it is way past time to pull these off the market and to really do the the diligent uh, deep dive analysis of what we should have done from the very beginning pull them off the market carl clift carl you're muted so unmute yourself we'll talk to you there you are hi drew how are you good what's happening very good thank you um just a couple, couple of quick points one um a couple of of speakers, your speakers are excellent. Some of the ones that I would look at, if you have a chance, would be. I'm assuming you've heard of Geert van den Bosch out yes. of Belgium. Yes. Um, uh, Kelly, did you did we talk about that that speaker at one point? Yeah, Geert does not, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, he he doesn't uh, make appearances on shows like these. But but I follow That's very closely, I and I agree. I agree with your thoughts, Carl. He's he's quite brilliant. Well, I've just received his book. I actually bought a couple of copies. Just came today, actually. So, um, and then also Dr. Phil McMillan. Um, he's out of. He's actually out of Jamaica, um, or is Jamaican, but in the U.S. Superb. And also a YouTube channel called Merigenomics. So that's just a comment. You can look at those up. What was the last but, one again? Wait, wait. Tell me that one again. Yeah, the YouTube channel called Merogenomics. Merogenomics. Dr. Okay. Mikhail. He's actually out of Alberta, Canada. Very, very good from a science point of view. Um, but just a real quick note. What what I'm 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 finding difficult to uh, to sort of stand is a lot of people saying that we didn't know we had to move fast we were unaware um, all 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 of these things are saying that we had to do certain things that we wouldn't normally do. Um, my story is very simple. In March, I was in Australia when this all occurred. I'm I'm in Canada. I was down at a wedding, and my daughter, who's a nurse here, said, "I'm I'm working the COVID ward." Freaked me out. Absolutely freaked me out. And, and the government of Canada started calling me to say, you've got to get on a plane, you've got to get home, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I need to do something. What, what I start, So I started researching. Now, I'm talking March of 2020. And I found John Ioannidis, and I found his stats on the Ruby Princess, on Wuhan, on Italy. And I'm like, well, this isn't, this, this is a bad flu. And he, had, and he had metadata analysis even then. So I went down the rabbit hole. And long story short, you know, three years later, I've been down the rabbit hole for three years, but it's not true. The data was there. And if people took the time, spent a few minutes, 
and looked, they could have found it. I have no, right. I, I've got education, but no. Well, Carl, education. Carl, that's sort of what we're doing here is trying to figure out what happened. Because <laughs> there was a lot we agreed didn't, should not have gone the way it did. There's, it's so confusing the way it went. Now, I will push back a little bit on what you said. I, I had alpha or delta. It's, 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 it's bad. And now H1N1 is just about as bad, frankly. And no one even knew that one hit. I certainly knew that I had it. Uh, but it, it's worse than a, than a bad flu. But you're right, though. The way we reacted was uncanny given what was happening. And we're trying to figure out why. And we're putting little pieces of that puzzle together sort of one step at a time. Kelly? That I, I, I agree with yeah. exactly uh, what you're saying, Carl. I've said from the beginning that I didn't push back on everything from the fact that most of us were not at significant risks to the fallacy of masks, social distancing, lockdowns, the, the vaccines. I didn't say what I was saying because I'm a good guesser. I didn't have a crystal ball. I said what I was saying because the data was out there. We've known for decades that none of these mitigation schemes would work. And we had, as you rightly point out, we had the data early on about who was actually at risk from this virus. We knew that children, yes, healthy young true. people under the age of 30, were at such a de minimis risk from this virus as to be fundamentally indistinguishable from zero. But they didn't act that way. Yep. And so I would say they didn't make a mistake. I say they lied. Well, and they panicked and they made terrible assumptions and they went out of their way to harm people who raised their hand and said, hey, are we really doing the right thing here? And they now want us to turn the page and turn the other cheek and at very minimum, at very minimum, anyone who is engaged in that behavior should never be listened to or trusted again. Period. Unless they apologize and explain what happened, it is, we should not yeah. be subjected to this nonsense. It, it's it has to it has to change, and the only way it's going to change is either they everyone examines themselves, apologizes, adjusts course, explains what happened, or we simply do not listen to these people ever again. I agree, Drew. You know, you can't be at the helm of a of crisis. You cannot be a leader if you refuse to be circumspect in any way. If you refuse to be able to look yep. back, analyze your own decision making, and be be thoughtful about it, and be willing to say, "Wow, okay, here's why we did what we did. Here's why we thought it was the right thing, and here's why it was wrong." Uh, anybody can respect that. People make errors. There are errors of judgment. There are errors in how you interpret data. CEOs do it all the time. Um, but a good leader is the one who can look at his or her decisions uh, and choices and then be very forthright about it in, you know, through the retrospectoscope and say, Okay, yeah, I made the wrong true. choice, and I'm sorry for the people I harmed. Instead, to this day, the element of hubris that people like Anthony Fauci and Rochelle Walensky and you know Deborah Burks, all these people, they just double down and say, no, we were right, we were right, look how great we were, as if they have absolutely no ability to see the pain and suffering it, it, that their decisions caused. In a weird way, that is a little bit scarier, I have to say. But uh, above and beyond the leaders, there's also a group in here that is duplicitous, and that is so-called journalists. Yeah. And the fact that they don't oh. 
right. analyze to at least, at least they, I don't even care if they frankly say that they were wrong. They, they were following the data that was being sent to them that was distorted. Maybe they don't know better. They're journalists. Let's be fair. Most of them are trained in nothing other than journalism. So how do they know? <laughs> right. And so, and so, right. And so, but I'd at least like to see some journalism done now where they put a microscope on the people who told them the things to, to say the things that turned out to be excessive. Short of that, I am disgusted, particularly by them. We'll have to wrap this up, Kelly. Thank you so much today, as always. Thank you for the callers. Thank you for the chat streams. Lots um, of shout-outs for Kelly today on Rumble and, and YouTube, by the way. That's good. Well, I'm thank keep, you. Keep, thank keep you coming. For that. Keep them coming. We appreciate it. And Kelly has certainly had to defend herself repeatedly to be here with us uh, to, uh, oh, yeah. to share with you her thoughts. And so I'm glad you're appreciated. All right, Kelly, uh, we will see you on, well, we're going to speak to a presidential yeah. candidate coming up, right? Yes. On April 10th. Yes, but we are, but we are not, <laughs> but we are not discussing that part of his visit. He's here to discuss with oh, us I issues am so, surrounding. Oh, uh, yes, that, that, we does, are not. That just, kills he, me. Is that common knowledge or did we just Dr have a Dr no, 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 he, he no. announced today. I, Oh, we, oh, okay, no. yeah, Drew, I told you. <laughs> we're, we're not talking about no, that part. That's not what the interview is about. No, 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 uh, I know, but he, but he announced today. He oh, announced he today. Did. I understand, I understand. He, yes, no. He announced no, today. He, he announced, <laughs> and he announced it. I'm very excited about that, but but um, but we are discussed, just so that for our listeners, I don't want you to think you're going to hear, you yes. know, get a, a uh, sort of a, a um, preview no. into the politics. Um, he, for good reasons, cannot mix his discussions about uh, things related to the Children's uh, Health Defense, which is a nonprofit, uh, and his uh, run for the presidency. So we are going to uh, respect yeah. that and, and stick okay. to issues around around vaccines and fraud and all the things that he's uncovered during uh, during this last pandemic. And then we've got uh, Asim Mahatra coming back the uh, the 25th, um, and I'm really excited about that. He has gone from, as you know, a vaccine zealot to a real warrior um, to expose the dangers of these. So here's a guy who said, I made a mistake. I was pushing these. I believed in it. I thought it was the right thing. And it turns out that now I'm following the actual data. And um, I had he had did a 180. And uh, I think he's really a, a terrific spokesperson for that reason. I uh, sorry, I hadn't I hadn't realized that he had announced. I hadn't realized that uh, Kennedy had yeah. announced that today, and so I was afraid I was yeah. going to have to go and edit yeah. five different platform videos and leap things out <laughs> no, and do I my seven-second delay. I, and <laughs> I, I get, I get. He, you know what caught my attention? He put out a really interesting uh, tweet yesterday, not not laying out his foreign policy uh, position, but make, raising some really interesting, I actually took a picture of my phone and thought, wow, that's a guy I could vote for. Oh, good, we're gonna talk to him, and then he announced for president. Yep, and, and then uh, also so, somebody that's not on the list on April 11th is Naomi Wolf. Oh yeah, she's coming back. She's coming oh, back. Okay. We'll I, I think it's Great. the 11th. No, actually, actually, wait, this isn't right. She's coming back at some time soon. We'll figure out the date It's the uh, Tuesday, tomorrow. it's, Oh yeah, but it's <laughs> Emily. Help me. We'll figure it out. Don't worry, everybody. We'll see you uh, tomorrow at three o'clock. Sorry about Jim, that, Jimmy Dore. My seventeenth. Right. Terrific. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. 
Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 